Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing Scott Peterson, owner of Northwest Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. Thanks, Scott, for coming on. That's glad to be here. So, yeah, I want to go ahead and just kind of, if you could, um, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself and what got you into PT? Sure. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Scott Peterson. Um, originally from Idaho, and uh, I entered uh, college to actually become a veterinarian. But uh, quickly learned that a lot of chemistry is required to become a veterinarian, so I started looking at different avenues of uh, what I might want to do. I had some exposure to athletic training in the past, and didn't really care to try to go to medical school, assume there'd be a lot of chemistry there as well. So physical therapy kind of met in the middle. Then I did have an opportunity to attend some therapy visits with a friend who had been in an accident and I got my interest. So that's kind of where I started and pursued that. Going to the University of Utah, graduating from there in 1987. And then uh, took a job in Las Vegas at a uh, large hospital there in Las Vegas and quickly found that inpatient therapy was not the niche that I wanted to be involved in and didn't care a lot for Vegas either. So when I found another opportunity, I took that and I moved my family to Southern Oregon, Medford, Oregon. I had a classmate that had opened up a facility there and needed help. And I ended up working for him for 10 years in a outpatient uh, orthopedic practice and uh, really developed a lot of my skills and things with him and under him and working closely with a group of orthopods that were involved in that. And uh, it was a great experience and uh, realized I'd done as much as I could with, with uh, him in Oregon and decided for a change. And that's where we ended up in, um, in Arizona. I was recruited by Health South, who was big in the Valley at the time in 1998 because I have not only a PT degree, but I was also a certified athletic trainer. And so they recruited me to come down and work in a clinic that they had bought from a physician. And uh, I worked for HealthSouth for three and a half years. Opened up two other clinics for them in that time period where they were expanding. And finally decided uh, under corporate healthcare, if I was going to work that hard, I was going to try to work for myself. So... That's when we, in 2003, started looking at it and um, preparing for it. And by June of 2004, I had uh, opened my doors to my own practice uh, here in Surprise. So that's been almost 19 years ago. Awesome. Wow. Congratulations. Um, so, yeah, I guess one of the questions that I have is that you mentioned that, so you work with Health South and then you decided to open up your own private practice. What motivated you to make that jump? You said that like, obviously you were working so hard, but what caused that change from being just a clinician and then jumping over to the entrepreneur side? So I wouldn't say that being 
a business owner or entrepreneur was really in the forefront of my mind. I still just wanted to be a clinician, but I wanted to be able to make the calls myself. I wanted to be able to have appropriate um, help uh, that I would be over because uh, with when I was with Health South, it was you do as much as you can with the least amount you can as far as help because that increases the bottom line. So it was really more trying to be able to provide better treatment, better service than I was, was under that situation. I think the whole thing of being an entrepreneur just falls upon you once you hang your shingle on the door saying you're in business. And uh, you learn that as you go along. Okay. And with that, I guess, what was the biggest obstacle or biggest thing that you realized, like maybe shortly after beginning your own clinic? Well, the main obstacles originally was where are we going to get the money for this? It, it takes a little cash flow because one, you're not going to be making much money for a little while. And I tried the traditional things of uh, SBA loans and some other things. And back in 98, the way the economy was, people just didn't believe in small business and going out. So they weren't willing to take a risk on that. So I finally got wise advice from somebody that says, do you own your home? Yes. Do you have equity in it? Yes. Then go get a home equity line of credit. Nobody asks what you do with that money and use that money to open your practice. So that's what we did. That's where most of the money came from. After I first opened, I did some home health to supplement our income and whatever else I could uh, to supplement things as we went along. And But uh, yeah, getting the money was one of the biggest hurdles to start with. From there, you can't treat people if you're not contracted with their insurance. So that was the second hurdle in, in being able to come up with contracts and paperwork involved to become involved in that. And that's where I, I had a gal that had worked with in Oregon who had moved down here who uh, agreed to kind of work for me part-time. And she was very helpful in helping establish some of those contracts. And then we just built on them over the years to be where we are today, but yeah, you, just because you hang your shingle doesn't mean you can treat people in barrel for it. Very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, so with that, like, would you say that the insurance aspect and trying to be able to become a preferred provider for them, was that an obstacle or is it still, or how did that aspect happen? Uh, certain ones are obstacles. Medicare was, I wouldn't say easy, but we never had to ask for permission. They'll, they don't really, I don't think at that time had Restrictions. Blue Cross Blue Shield was one that I just in my head felt there's so many Blue Cross Blue Shield people on that plan. You need to be a provider for them. And we would try and they'd say, oh, we have all the providers we need for your area. And I was turned down several times with Blue Cross Blue Shield. And uh, finally, I did get on with them. It took me about two years. And there have been times when I thought, was that a good choice? Because they're one of my lowest reimbursement Blue Cross Blue Shield. So thinking that, well, I got to have this because there's all these people, you really have to look at, at so many other factors of whether it's even a good contract for you. you know, you're going to have all these people, but what they reimburse you means you make minimal on those visits. So if you want to treat people for free all day, some insurances are good ones to be on. So you got to look at that. And that's one of the things I wish I'd have known before I started more about insurances and how that works. I kind of learned that over the bumpy road. Yeah, I definitely, like, from what I've understood and what I've been learning, reimbursement rates are constantly changing and making it hard 
professor physical therapist, so it's it's good to know to make sure to do our homework on that. Yeah, it is constantly changing, and you have to kind of stay on top of it. And you know, that's not my forte. That's where you need to make sure you have yourself surrounded by someone, if not others, who who can uh, watch over that for you. Good, really good to know. And so, are you strictly insurance based, or do you do any other things as well, like cash based or anything like that? Of course, we have cash. Hey, we have a few people who have super high deductibles, so maybe they'll just pay cash for a few visits. Most of my cash pay are Canadians. Being out in Surprise, we have a lot of winter visitors, and when Canadians come down here, their insurance isn't any good down here. So if they need if they need therapy, they got to pay cash for it. Uh, it's been a little slower this year with COVID. Not too many Canadians made it south this year. Yeah, and speaking hey, of COVID, oh, that's the question. Most of my reimbursement is is insurance. Yes. Okay, perfect. And speaking of COVID, then how did that affect you guys? Um, anything that caused you to pivot or change your tactics, and what exactly? How did that affect it? Um, it certainly affected us um, on several fronts. Being our practices is about 70 percent Medicare, so the age group that's most at risk for COVID. As soon as things really came out in March or so, one surgery stopped. So no elective surgeries, no total knees, no total hips, shoulder replacements, all those surgeries stopped. That's a big part of what we see. Uh, so we didn't see those patients. Had a lot of patients says, you know, I'm not gonna come out during this. Uh, I'm gonna hunker down in my house and play it safe. So patients weren't willing to, even though their doctors, I think you need therapy, by some televisit, you know, I don't think I want to go out and be around people. So yeah, it affected us greatly. We went from, you know, January, February, seeing about 700 visits in a month to by March, I was, well, by April, I only had uh, about 230 visits in a month. Wow. So it, it, and the whole summer was slow compared to, to previous years. Uh, but it's, it's slowly building back up. Gotcha. Yeah, that I mean that must have been a big, a big challenge to overcome. Um, and yeah, speaking kind of of your clinic, could you give us a little explanation of your clinic? Um, how many providers you guys have there, and um, just kind of a layout of your clinic and why you chose that? Sure. So, primarily we we're orthopedic based, and um, I've had uh, several formats over the years. I've had as many as uh, four therapists at one time. Twice I've had. Two clinics. I had one in Wickenburg for a short time that I had for about a year and a half, and then I just sold it to the therapist that was working up there for me. He would prefer to be a partner, so I just sold it to him. 2011, 2016, I had a second clinic that I had purchased from a group of orthopedic surgeons who no longer wanted to be in the physical therapy business. So I bought their practice, basically all their equipment, and took over their lease. And that worked well for about two and a half years until the main referring doctor in that group left. And then it was it was a struggle for the remainder of that time. So when my lease came due, I didn't renew the lease. Rather, I expanded the square footage that I have in my current building. Currently, I have about um, 5,200 square feet in my office. It's kind of an open concept um, between how the tables work with orthopedics and things. And currently, there's myself and a physical therapy assistant and two techs and a front office 
uh, receptionist. In years past, during the uh, snowbird months, I would hire another therapist from a, a travel agency, traveling therapist, and I would have them work for me from January to oh, April or May if snowbirds stayed around long enough. That it would get busy enough with snowbirds here that we would need another provider. Um, that wasn't the case this year. But in years past, it's, I've had to have uh, three three providers during the snowbird season. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense with everything, especially the community that you're in. What would you say then with being with, when you were at Health South? what was the big difference in, I, I, from what I understand, you were a clinical director at those locations? Um, correct. Yeah, you were just kind of the manager over that one facility. And then they would have, uh, uh, I don't remember what they would call them, but there was one individual who might be over you know, five or six clinics. And he never, that person was just an administrator. They didn't, he didn't treat patients. They just oversaw the logistics of those clinics. So as a, a clinic manager for Health South, you, you know, you, you didn't have a whole lot of say in anything. There was somebody two or three tiers up from you, always looking over your shoulder to see what was happening and then telling you what to do. That was corporate health. You know, there's people who are non-clinicians in corporate health that are making decisions about patient care and stuff because they're looking at numbers, not at people. And that was the case I had with Health South, the same. So certainly, you know, managing an office and the people in it benefited me when it came time to open my own. You know, all work experience, yeah, positive and negatives. There were certainly some positives I learned in that time that have helped me over the years. And there were many things that I learned at Health South that I said, those are the things that I'm never going to do as a owner manager or clinician uh, if I ever had my own place. So, you know, there's always things to learn, good or bad, wherever you are. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so with that, what was maybe some of those things that you felt that as you entered your kind of the like private practice, what were some of the things that you hadn't realized were so important um, starting off and that you wish you had maybe learned earlier? You talked about like insurance and everything. Anything else that you could mention? Um, insurance was probably the biggest thing to take on initially because you don't, working for somebody else, you don't see that. They had a whole team that dealt with that and billing and all of that. And you really have to kind of figure that as you go along. Uh, developing relationships, you know, again, just because you hang your shingle up doesn't mean the physicians around you are going to start sending you people. So there was a tremendous effort for several years of marketing, and, and I tried to market the way I watched Health South Market. I found that not to be very effective. Took some classes about marketing and changed some things I did. You know, some things I did initially, I don't think I would repeat. If I were opening my own place again, for example, taking lunches to physicians, that seems to be everybody's idea of marketing. And when I changed that was because of one, there was one doctor out here who was a shoulder specialist. And in Oregon, all I did was treat shoulders and knees. So I felt that was somewhat my specialty as well. So I really wanted to develop a relationship with this guy knowing he sees a lot of shoulders and I tried and tried to get an appointment to go in there and finally when I offered to bring lunch 
Uh, oh, yeah, we can schedule that. And so, okay, how many people are there? Yeah, there's 18 of us or something. So I had Subway cater, and I can't remember how much I spent. And I met with all these people. They came in and got their food. And then here comes the doctor's nurse, and she says, you know, the doctor's really tied up. He's just asked me to make him a sandwich and take it to him. And uh, you know, appreciate you being here today. And I never signed. I spent hundreds of dollars to meet this one guy, and I never, never signed. And I left that saying, "That's it. I got to find something different. I'm not going to feed all these people to get, uh, you know, one or two uh, token referrals is what I call them." So, so I changed things. But you know, over the years, you just develop relationships with physicians and uh, and if you're in the same spot for a while it just comes down to, to having some kind of a reputation as a place to be your, your best marketing tool are your patients themselves when you spend the time to teach your patients that when they go back to their doctor you need to tell them about your experience here because it means much more coming from a patient than it does from a therapist who's walking in with a subway sandwich and when you can get your patients to be your um, advocates for you in their physicians' offices and things, changes everything. When doctors know the patients are happy, then they're happy. And they're going to send their patients to a place where they think they'll be happy. Because it makes their life easier. So that's really been my main focus over the years, probably the last 15 years or so, is really to educate patients on how to, how to help you market by going back to the doctors and telling them about their experience and making sure it's positive. Wow. Yeah. That, that's a great insight. Honestly, like I, I've, from the different clinics that I've worked at and things I've seen that as a tactic is, is that in service kind of going in and, and providing lunches and stuff. But yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're able to like change those patients and they're able to give that great review for you, that's the biggest evidence that you're doing a good job. Yeah, it's, it's not just really a position in our community, in the community that I deal with, you know, it's it's primarily um, retirement communities, and those people are very social. So when they're gathering around happy hour and this topic of therapy comes up, you want them to be talking about you in a positive way. And, you know, many, many referrals have come to me because so-and-so told me about you or... I was talking to so-and-so, and they said, you really helped them. And so it's not just to the physicians. The, the thing with you have to educate patients on then is you have a right to go wherever you want. Because you could go to a doctor at the Core Institute, for example, who has their own therapy, and the doctor's going to say, I want you to go to therapy. Ours is downstairs. And he writes a referral. It goes into their system, and right away, somebody from that physical therapy department is calling that patient to schedule that because it's in their system. So unless the patient has the ability to say, no, I, I'm going to go somewhere else and not just, well, I'm going to go here because my doctor told me to go here. And you can educate them that you can choose to go wherever you want. Then they'll, they'll come to you even, even if the doctor's saying, no, we want you to go here. It's difficult for patients, particularly elderly patients, to stand up for their doctors. Yeah, so now I know you want me to go downstairs, but you know I've been to this place before. I want to go there, and 
for the most part, the doctors say, that's fine. Very few doctors would say, well, no, yeah, I want you to go down here. So it just takes relationships. Yeah, no, that's honestly a great insight. Thank you for that. And that makes a lot of sense, honestly, and being able to market more efficiently and productively. Yeah, so another question I have for you. What would you say is something that you wish you had learned sooner would have made that next jump for you faster? I mean, the bottom line in that is how to run a business. When I went to PT school, it wasn't even a topic to even be discussed. And, and as you open your own clinic, you're not only a clinician, you're now a businessman. And the more knowledge, I wish I'd had much more knowledge about that before I made that jump. And at some point, you know, the really successful entrepreneurs, I think, um, in, in therapy, it's difficult to be good at both. At some point in this whole process, you have to decide, do I want to continue to be a really good clinician and the best I can be at a business? Or do I want to be really good at business? Because if I do that, I'm going to have to spend much more time doing that which is going to limit my ability to be a good clinician. And you got to hire somebody to be a clinician. And probably the most successful people that have made that jump into being an entrepreneur in private practice are those who have become more business people and hire others to treat patients. I love being a clinician. So I've tried to stay building my skills there and simply do the best I can as far as as being a businessman. I'm sure I've made a lot of bad decisions over the time, but I have a lot of faithful patients. <laughs> so yeah. they're all ways out. No, it sounds That's like it's cool. working for sounds like it's yeah. working for you. Um, <laughs> what is the importance of that managing the clinician side and the business side? What is so what are some keys in that that you've learned throughout the process? I mean the bottom line is you've got to make time somewhere for both. So you have to consider that in your schedule. If you schedule yourself all day to see patients and no time to address uh, the things that come up in running a business, you're going to fall behind on one or the other. So my advice would be at some point in your schedule, whether it's once a week or twice a week, there's, there's a couple of hours or something that are knocked out in your schedule that you are going to address my business needs. You're going to look at the business metrics and where things are. You know, you're ordering stuff. You're taking care of those other needs. You're you're looking at employees. You, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a good office manager that can do a lot of that for you, that's that's a person uh, that's worth their weight in gold. If you can find a really good office manager to help you manage a lot of those things, so you still need to take the time to correspond with them. And I've done that over the years. I've had couple of really good individuals that have helped me do that over the years. You just communicate with them. That it's real important that you take that time. Don't just leave it to somebody else. You're the business owner. You've got to manage that. You can't just leave it to somebody else. Great. Thank you for that insight. Um, and yeah, I guess another question that I would have to kind of wrap up. What would be one of the most important things that you could say to aspiring clinicians that want to enter that side of physical therapy? Make sure it's what you want to do, because it's a huge investment, not only financially, but uh, time-wise. You become a business owner, 
when the clock hits five o'clock and you go home, you don't leave everything in the office. It goes home with you. And it's 24-7. You're worrying about what's going on behind those doors. So make sure you're willing to make that commitment uh, would be the first thing. Second, you know, therapy, it's going to be interesting where it goes in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Insurances are changing. There are laws that are coming about that are going to regulate uh, Medicare more. The use of physical therapy assistance is going to be changed uh, where they're going to reimburse less for a therapy assistant. Uh, so staffing wise, do I want to have them see patients and, and accept less? I mean, there's just a lot of things that way that are coming in the future that we know about that you want to make sure you're familiar with. And there are there are resources for you. There are lots of consultants, lots of consulting companies that are happy to take your money and tell you what you need to do. And some of them can be very good. Um, the APTA, of course, has the private practice section. Um, they have meetings every year, and I found those to be helpful, oftentimes, and very scary other times. I would go to some of those meetings and go home thinking, I am just a total failure when I compare what I hear in those meetings and stuff. But everybody's different the way you react to that. But there are certainly resources, and you want to take advantage of everything that you can whether it's through the APTA or whether it's through uh, other consulting uh, organizations. If you don't know how to do it, you need to find somebody who does and don't just let it lag behind. Thank you. Well, yeah, um, I think that's all the questions I have for you today. Really grateful for being able to have you come onto the podcast. Um, I hope that everyone, yeah, thank you. And I hope everyone that is listening can be able to take out some, some nuggets of gold that he able to share with us and that it can be beneficial for everybody yeah thank you again scott for coming on to the podcast take care jt thanks everybody for listening to the podcast i hope you liked that episode if you did make sure to subscribe and also leave a review thanks everybody and we'll see you next time